We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to finish the chapter. So you can open your Bible or navigate over there, as Gino said. When it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, cessationists and charismatics 100% agree on one thing. One day the gifts will cease. We just don't agree on the day. To bring you up to speed, if you haven't been following this series, cessationists believe certain gifts of the Holy Spirit have already ceased to function in the church. Charismatics believe all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit will continue to operate until the coming of the Lord, and so we are also called continuationists. Uh, Paul is going to tell us in these verses exactly when the gifts will cease. And so, beginning in verse 8, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Now, the first seven verses highlighted love. Love is the way all gifts must operate, is the atmosphere of the gifts, you might say. Anything selfish or self-centered cannot be a genuine manifestation of God, the Holy Spirit. It can't if, if it is not flowing from love. Remember that Paul was writing to correct the misuse, the abuse, really, of the gift of speaking in tongues at the church at Corinth. The way the Corinthians were doing it lacked love. It just was it's just as simple as that. Love never fails means, first of all, that their activities, as bad as they were, would not defeat God's love. The church will go on. It will move forward despite the bad behavior of its members at times. Uh, you realize a lot of the churches that we read about in the New Testament had really significant problems. You understand that, don't you? Uh, and that's because people go to those churches. Uh, and as long as there are people going to churches, they're going to have significant problems. Uh, and uh, yet Jesus said what? Uh, he would build his church and the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. It would continue. Nothing can stop it. And so Paul writing to correct, uh, letting them know that love, God's love won't fail uh, in, in terms of uh, generation to generation to generation. Second of all, love never fails means that it will still be the way of things in the future in eternity. Love is permanent. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not permanent. And so that uh, should guide your thinking as to what is the most important. Obviously, something permanent in God's economy, something that you're going to experience now and in eternity is more important and should be stressed more uh, than something that is temporary. And again, the Corinthians were stressing the temporary manifestation of spiritual gifts as being uh, a sign of spirituality. And, and Paul said, hey, um, what you really need to manifest is love, the love of God. Why single out these three gifts of the Spirit? Well, we can't be sure, but tongues and knowledge were especially troublesome in Corinth, so you've got to mention them. Uh, so that there would be no confusion. Uh, you don't want them to be able to say, well, Paul didn't specifically say tongues, and so maybe he's, he, you know, tongues isn't part of what he's thinking. So he mentions that. And then prophecy is a gift Paul will talk about a lot uh, in chapter 14, and perhaps he wanted to head off any criticism that he just had a favorite gift that was coloring his thinking. Uh, Paul was a seasoned missionary, a seasoned pastor. He knew how people thought. 
he could anticipate their arguments. Of course, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit too, but um, you know, people can easily say, well, Paul, Paul's emphasizing certain gifts that he has, uh, you know, because, and he's being proud and he's being boastful. And so he's trying to be even-handed. He say, hey, you guys are off on tongues and prophecy uh, and knowledge. They're all going to cease. Now, there's nothing wrong with these gifts or with the truth that they convey. In fact, they are necessary for the church. All that Paul is saying is that one day they will be unnecessary. So when will that be? Well, in verse 9, he starts to answer. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. In part means incomplete. It's a reminder that believers and that the church comprised of believers is an ongoing project of the Lord's. We're not complete, uh, but we will be. Uh, then he says in verse 10, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. Uh, and so here is really Paul's answer to if the gifts are temporary and love is permanent, when will the gifts cease? Now, there's almost no argument anymore among serious scholars about what Paul meant when he said, when that which is perfect has come. He, he was talking about eternity. He's describing the day you are translated or transformed into your glorified body, taken to heaven, and you see Jesus face to face. Now, some of you are familiar with uh, John MacArthur. He's at the head of the cessationist movement. He is sometimes accused of teaching that which is perfect is the Bible, and since the Bible is now complete, certain gifts are unnecessary and have ceased. This is actually a an, an, um, an classic argument that certain cessationists have used for years and years and years. They say, well, once the Bible was complete and, and it, you know, perfect, uh, then you don't need gifts like prophecy and speaking in tongues and things like that. Um, John MacArthur does not teach that, and, and he never has, uh, just to be honest about his teaching. Here is his teaching. He says, the perfect is not the completion of Scripture since there is still the operation of those two gifts, and there will be in the future kingdom. The Scriptures do not allow us to see face-to-face -face or have perfect knowledge as God does. The perfect is not the rapture of the church or the second coming of Christ, since the kingdom to follow these events will have an abundance of preachers and teachers. The perfect must be the eternal state when we in glory see God face to face and have full knowledge in the eternal new heavens and new earth. Just as a child grows to full understanding, believers will come to perfect knowledge and no such gifts will be necessary." So you might say that in eternity, you won't need the gift of prophecy because the Lord will be speaking to you directly. There will be no unknown languages that need interpreting. And the word of knowledge by which the Lord supernaturally reveals to you something you could not have known will vanish away because you'll know everything. Uh, and and you'll be, the Scripture says we'll know and we will be known. Uh, and so those gifts which manifest the presence of God in the church today uh, and further us along and complete us, uh, work to complete us, they won't be necessary. They will pass off the scene in eternity. Okay, so why do guys like MacArthur still say certain gifts like tongues and prophecy have, in fact, ceased? Well, in his own words, he says, though we are told here that all three gifts would someday cease to exist, two different verbs are used to indicate their cessation. Prophecy and knowledge will be done away. 
whereas tongues will cease. He says, done away means to reduce to inactivity or to abolish. The gift of prophecy and knowledge will one day be made inoperative. Cease means to stop or come to an end. The cause comes from within. It is built in. God gave the gift of tongues a built-in stopping place. Like a battery, it had a limited lifespan. And so that's his teaching on the cessation of these gifts. Okay, so let's look at tongues. When was tongues set to run out of juice? Well, there's no passage in the Bible to substantiate a particular time tongues would cease. So all of the arguments as to when it supposedly did cease are extra-biblical. They're not in the Bible. They're, they're something uh, that is either logical or theoretical. MacArthur says, and I like this, he says, it is reasonable to believe that tongues have ceased because their use is mentioned only in the earlier New Testament books. Most of the books, in fact, do not mention it. So his argument is based on what he says seems reasonable. At least he's honest. He says it's reasonable. He doesn't say it's biblical. It's not unbiblical. It's not biblical. It's just, it's reasonable. So he admits, we all admit that certain gifts are going to cease. Uh, they won't be needed in eternity when that which is perfect has been realized. And so when are they going to cease? Well, he says, well, to, to me, it's reasonable to think they've ceased already because of certain things I observe. But to me, that's like saying I don't read directly about the Trinity in certain books of the Bible, so maybe it's not really a doctrine that's taught in Scripture. In other words, how often does something have to appear in Scripture for me to say that it's valid? And so to say, well, you know, I just don't see everybody speaking in tongues in the book of, at the end of the book of Acts. Well, that's not what the book of Acts is about. It's not a record of people speaking in tongues. It's a record of the building of the church. And there are plenty of people who do speak in tongues in the book of Acts. So basically he's saying, I agree with you, it's going to cease. I say it's reasonable to say it has ceased already. Uh, now, not all scholars agree that you should base a tremendous far-reaching conclusion on a verb or its verb tense. Gordon Fee, who's a renowned scholar in his own right, says this. He says, some have argued that the change of verbs with tongues has independent significance as though this meant tongues might cease before prophecy and knowledge. But just as one can scarcely distinguish between cease and pass away in English when used in the same context, neither can one distinguish between the Greek words used in this context. In other words, Paul was not making a huge announcement about the cessation of a gift by choosing that particular verb. He just wasn't. Or at the very least, we can't say without a doubt that he was. Um, I'm no language scholar, but I know that from reading other guys who are language scholars, a lot of times when you read, hey, this, this is all that this word can ever be used for. In other words, this, you know, they give you the idea that this word was crafted just for this passage of Scripture, and it can only mean this. And Gordon Fee says, yeah, I, I read Greek, and um, those are interchangeable words. And, and that is not the teaching at all. And, and it's, it's the effort of somebody who wants to prove that that gift has ceased coming up with a reasonable argument, but it's not a biblical argument. It's just a reasonable argument. The gifts will cease in eternity when they are no longer necessary. Until then, we say that they are needed. And then Paul is saying the same thing. And then in chapter 14, he'll say, now that I've taught you all this, let me show you how they work in the church. Uh, from my point of view, 
he's spending a lot of time in a significant book of the Bible explaining these things. And so any argument that says, well, we just don't see it much in Colossians or Ephesians, we've got three chapters where he keeps hammering this and hammering this and hammering this. How many times does it have to come up in Scripture? Uh, I mean, very few topics have three whole chapters written about them in succession. Uh, and so it's very, very important that we not make those mistakes. So two illustrations help you get a grasp of the change from earth to eternity. So Paul's saying one day the gifts will cease uh, when we're no longer on this earth and we're in eternity. So now he's going to give us two illustrations. Uh, verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now Paul compared our change from earth to eternity to the change from childhood to adulthood. I don't think, however, he was describing the gradual changes as we grow. The way he worded this sounds more immediate. It's as if he's saying, one minute I was a child, and the next minute I was uh, a man. Paul was perhaps thinking of what we call a bar mitzvah. One moment Paul would be considered a boy, and the next he was considered a man. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a cultural thing. It's a ritual. You know, nothing has really changed from one minute, but there's, it's, it's as if now you're a man. Um, it will be a spiritual bar mitzvah in a sense when we go to be with the Lord. Whether through death and resurrection or the rapture, we will be immediately matured. And so right now we are maturing, we are growing in the Lord, we are changing from glory to glory as we see the image of the Lord. Uh, and that's a wonderful process. But if you were to die... Uh, tonight, you would be absent from your body and present with the Lord. If we were to be raptured right now, we'd be translated and changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and we would go from where all of us are right now to full maturity, just like that. We would go from child to manhood immediately, and that's what Paul is saying. That's, that's what is going to happen uh, in terms of the gifts. Right now, we need the gifts to minister to one another because we have a body of flesh and the Lord needs to manifest Himself in amazing ways. But one day, we're all going to be glorified and understand one another and see one another and know one another. We won't need any of those gifts. The second illustration he uses is the mirror in verse 12. He says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part but then I shall know just as I am also known. Now the mirrors in those days were made of beaten and polished bronze. No matter how well crafted a polished bronze mirror might be, it was really crude in giving a proper representation compared to the kinds of mirrors that we have today. That's how we see uh, currently spiritual things, only partially. Yes, we have everything we need for life and for godliness in God's word, but it's still not the same as being with Jesus. In heaven, we will see him face to face, and we will know him perfectly even as he knows us perfectly today. And so again, the illustration, the church on earth, it's like looking into a mirror. Uh, you, you see, but not perfectly. And you might have to clean it off, and you know your electric toothbrush is spraying all over it and stuff, and it's getting gross and all that. Um, in those days, even harder to see yourself in the mirror. He says that's what it's like being on the earth, walking with the Lord. You're seeing things in a non-perfect way. But one day when you're with the Lord, you'll see him face to face. And so that, those are his illustrations to say, bam, 
This is going to happen when, we, when that which is perfect has come, when we're in eternity. And so the, the answer to the question, when will spiritual gifts cease, is in eternity. When you get to eternity, you won't be exercising spiritual gifts anymore. And when the, God is done with this current earth and with the millennial kingdom and he makes a new heaven and a new earth, then gifts will have ceased. Up until that time, we see no reason to suggest any particular gifts have in fact ceased. We only ask that they are exercised properly according to the pattern Paul's going to lay out in chapter 14. So verse 13, he ends it and he says, Now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight, thus faith is only necessary for our time on the earth. In eternity, faith will become sight because we'll be with the Lord. We'll see Him. Uh, our blessed hope is the coming of the Lord. Thus, hope is only necessary for our time on earth. In eternity, hope will become reality because we'll be with Jesus. Love does not have the same temporary quality. It will go on for eternity as the context in which we exist. God is love, uh, and we will manifest love. And so that's why uh, love is, is in a separate category than faith and hope. Faith and hope will not be needed in eternity. The Holy Spirit produces this love. Since He indwells us, these characteristics are not only possible, they are normal. Love is the normal Christian behavior. Looking back at the first seven verses of this chapter, love is what is normal. If I'm falling short in love in one or more of these ways, it isn't a matter of my trying harder, but of realizing I'm refusing to yield to the indwelling Spirit. These are the qualities that ought to characterize my life simply because the Holy Spirit indwells me. I don't learn how to do them. He produces them when I get out of the way of His work. The love we've been examining was so amazing, so different, that an entirely new word had to be coined to capture its essence. It's that Greek word agape. According to Alan Redpath, uh, we get our English word agony from agape, and he says it means the actual absorption of our being in one great passion. And so a simple way of challenging ourselves is to ask, what am I really passionate about? What am I really passionate about? When Jesus is my one great passion, there will be agape overflowing uh, all over the place uh, because that's what he's all about. Uh, and so... Again, I, I just need to focus on Him, be passionate about Him, seek Him, and everything will flow from that. Amen?